The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. We look at what's going on in the world and we view it from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. We look at the various values that are important to us. We look at them and we try to see how we analyze the events of the day from those values and what does it mean in terms of how we view them, how we think about them, and then are there things we should be doing in order to impact what's going on positively or to slow down and mitigate or change the direction of those things that are moving in a negative direction. And so this Independence Day weekend is a day in which, boy, there are a lot of things that we should be thinking about, reflecting upon, and quite frankly, we should be praying about because of some of the difficulties uh, that it, of, of what's going on in, in the world. But, you know, Tom, before we get into all of that, do you know what this weekend, the beginning of the Independence Day weekend, what national day is being celebrated at the very, very beginning of the uh, Independence Day weekend at the very first day of July? What is the national day? You know, Monsignor, I I don't know off the top of my head. I really, I I don't know what that first, what July 1st stands for. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. It is National Creative Flavor Ice Cream Day. Oh, I didn't, see? See that? Wow. So, (laughs) so, so it is the celebration of and this is me speaking, this is my opinion, okay? The celebration of all of those flavors of ice cream that shouldn't exist. <laughs> so like mac and cheese flavor oh, yeah, yeah. ice cream. Oh, no, yeah, um, yeah. Bacon ice cream. Yeah, no, no. Right, right. I completely it, agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I mean, it's funny when saying, you know, the one ice cream that's kind of like an outlier in that, that you wouldn't think would be good, but I've tried and it's actually pretty good. And it sounds terrible, but it's good balsamic vinegar ice cream. Yeah, Tom, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You you better go buy it and celebrate it. It's uh, <laughs> so what I, now. Okay, let me ask Tom. Let me ask a stupid question. Okay. Okay. What's it taste like? It 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 does. It's not. It's not bitter, and it's not sour. It's sweet, but it has a little bit of the flavor of balsamic vinegar to it. If you could imagine, like just imagine balsamic vinegar, if it wasn't vinegary. Love it. Love it on avocados. Yes, absolutely. Right. Love it on salad. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a big balsamic vinegar fan. I am also a big ice cream fan. Yes. Okay. Um, But I'm not sure they deserve to be in the same room. (laughs) But 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 no but I'll, Tom I'll hear you out I'll hear you out. <laughs> well, so you know it, now it it took a lot of arm twisting, Monsignor, for me to even try it. But I did try it, and it's actually not 
bad. The rest of them, I'm 100% agreement. So, That's just so, wrong. so Tom, let me, let me ask you this, because <laughs> we know what color balsamic vinegar is. It's a right. very dark brown. Correct. Very dark brown color. But like, is it, does that, is that the color of all of the ice cream? No. Dark brown color, or is it? No, it's more, believe it or not, it's more like vanilla. And it almost, it it very much resembles um, black cherry ice cream. Oh, okay. You can imagine that's kind of the color, a little darker than that, but it's along the lines of black cherry ice cream in in color, not in, not in. But does it have, does it have like, I don't know how you do this, but we're talking weird. So I can ask weird questions. Yes. So like black cherry ice cream, which I like, that's a good thing. You know, it's got a little pinkish white color. Right. Black cherry. But it's also got like those little bits of cherries. Right, right. That are in it. So the balsamic vinaigrette is, or the balsamic vinegar ice cream, does it have any like little chunks in it that you can No, It's just. No, not chunks. It, into the, it's got it's got kind of like a swirl. So like you can find parts of it that have more of the vinegar. So it almost looks like a rocky road, if you will. Ah, or yeah. or a vanilla fudge. Or vanilla fudge. Very similar to vanilla fudge, yes. Okay, where well, it's got a little streaks in it of, of that. Right. Um, so, Tom, I, 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 I really, I don't want you, to, I mean, there are security concerns, okay? So, I mean, um, I don't want you to necessarily put in danger the place where you got it because uh, I think you put it in danger. <laughs> okay, where'd you find this thing? It's at a, a little, I, of course, Monsieur, a little ice cream shop down in Greenwich Village. So that would be, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Needless to say. Uh, yeah, it's like a little boutique ice cream place by my friend Liz's. And uh, it's really, it's like a Starbucks of ice cream, super expensive for no good reason, really. And, uh, right. you know, like that kind of place. All right. Well, all right. That's uh, <laughs> okay. So now let's get, it's, it's Independence Day weekend. So we got to kind of really get serious about this. Let's go back to normal. What's your go-to ice cream? Oh, my Oh my go-to ice cream. Go-to Actually, my very favorite of all time, you mentioned it, is black cherry or cherry vanilla. That's my oh. all-time favorite. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to do a little bit of a commercial. Okay. Okay. So you go to Trader Joe's, don't you, sometimes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. They have the best. Cherry vanilla soy ice cream. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. It is, it is to die for. You, and, and if you didn't tell people it was soy, they would never even know. <laughs> I mean, it's got exactly the, the texture, the look, the feel of just ice cream. All right. But it okay. is really, really good stuff. Now, Here's another little test for you, okay? Mm-hmm. The test is, what do you think America's go-to most popular oh. ice cream flavor flavor is? Don't overthink this. Okay. Mint chocolate chip. God. <laughs> vanilla. Oh, vanilla. I you mean, said not to overthink it. I know. Well, I know. <laughs> you know, mint chocolate chip's got like three different exotics to it. It's yeah, got yeah. mint, it's got chocolate, it's got chip. And I think at the base of it, it's probably vanilla, right? 
probably yeah. yeah I would imagine it would be yeah. probably that. No, but vanilla. Okay. Vanilla okay. All right. Is, okay. Is like the go to the go to thing for most most Americans now. Okay. So it, it's um, uh, so okay. This is you get two out of three. So what's mm-hmm. your after no cherry vanilla? They don't have it in the store. Okay. What do you ask them for? Uh, pistachio. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Good yep. choice. Good choice. So I am a version of vanilla. Okay. Okay. So what I mean by that is probably all things being equal. I do cookies and cream. Oh, nice. Okay. Very good. Yes. I agree. That's but a good one. I don't think there's much difference between cookies and cream and vanilla fudge. No, they're, they're very similar. I mean, you know, I mean, right. cause the, the Oreo cookie gives that fudgy kind of flavor to it. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah I agree. So, I agree. So those are my two kind of kind of go-tos. Mm. But if I'm having ice cream with anything, like, you know, with like cake or with some, then it's vanilla. Then it's oh, yeah. vanilla. Yeah. But the other thing, which I'll say, I'm a big chocolate freak. I love chocolate. Mm-hmm. But chocolate ice cream is not my favorite. Okay, interesting. You know, I mean, I won't turn it down. No, right, but, right. But but that's my that's my um, that's my thing. So anyway, so for all of our listeners on this Independence Day weekend, this is my basic anecdote, antidote. I'm sorry, not anecdote, antidote to the troubles that our nation is going through these days. When in doubt, have ice cream. <laughs> it is almost impossible to be angry mad when you're having ice cream. <laughs> and my other little thing from a Christian point of view is if you're going to see relatives over this, this weekend, okay. If you're going to see relatives, you're going to an event, a barbecue or, or whatever that is going on. And, you know, some of them maybe politically, you're going to get into some, arguments and stuff like that bring ice cream (laughs) bring ice cream and share ice cream and that is what i think is kind of a little bit of a common denominator of you know we can disagree on politics we can disagree on a lot of different things we can have different real strong opinions about things but how can you fight about ice cream except the color the flavor that's good fun. <laughs> anyway so tom why don't we go to um our first guest who is megan gilbert the communication officer for uh catholic relief services and uh which is the international relief and aid organization of the united states bishops conference uh i think we spoke with megan oh, a couple of months ago about some of the work that Catholic Relief Services was doing with Ukrainian refugees in, uh, I believe, Moldova. Today, we're going to speak about the work of Catholic Relief Services in Afghanistan. Um, Megan Gilbert, thank you for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. Good. So, so before we get into the serious business you're doing, um, do you, um, what are you doing for the Independence Day weekend? 
Oh boy, you know, I don't have a whole lot of plans. You know, I live in the Maryland area, so it's possible I think I might go to my in-laws and have some crabs. I don't know if you've ever like picked crabs, eaten crabs like that, but well, we do I guess it in the summer in I our area. It, I guess if you go to Maryland, you got to do crab. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely have to. It's an experience. Yeah, you you well, listen, I was listening to the radio uh, a little bit earlier, and I got another recommendation for you, but it's going to require some effort. So, but I was listening to the guy who is the head of the National Mall. Okay. And he was talking about the most magnificent fireworks display they're going to do there uh, this weekend. And, uh, he was talking about what a magnificent uh, event it's going to be. So, you know, I know it requires a little bit effort. Get get out from me, a, you know, your TV or your mobile device or something like that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, I'm just saying he's he's vouching for it at well, 909 <laughs> on Monday no, night. I, want to say I saw them as a child. I grew up in Philadelphia, so they, you know that's not so far from D.C. Okay. I kind of have a vague memory of being in D.C. over the July 4th. I mean, is there a better place to be over the July 4th holiday? But um, so uh, well, they are they are spectacular. Yep, yep, they, they are. So uh, somebody told me, I think, I'm not sure if this is true, Tom. You could look this up, but I... I was told that there were like 929 different public displays of fireworks uh, the 4th of July weekend. I mean, that either strikes me as a real lot or maybe it's not enough, but I don't know. But anyway, so um, anyway, so, well, in soft shell crabs? No, no, these are hard shell crabs. I'm not, uh, soft shell, not, not my thing. Yeah, but hard shell, and you pick them, and you eat them. The just the, it's okay. effort. It's effort. Like it's uh, not a like you sit down, and it can be a couple hours. It's effort. All right. Well, uh, you know that's why that's why I'm not a big fan. In addition to the cost, I'm not a big fan wow. of lobster and yeah. all. Of, and shell. <laughs> I mean, that my extent of willing to work at fish is shrimp. That's well, about yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, ha- it's, you have to be in the mood. You got to be ready, and you have to recognize yeah. that. Yeah, so it is good. So anyway, so I hope you have a good, good uh, Independence Day weekend. Um, so so maybe let's go to a, a situation which is very, very kind of sad and very serious. Um, so tell us a little bit about what Catholic Relief Services is doing in Afghanistan after probably now almost close to a year, a little bit less than a year after the withdrawal of the United States troops in there. What, 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 what's going on there? Well, we, we're doing much of the same work that we have done for the last 20 years uh, in Afghanistan. Certainly last August when the U.S. troops left, uh, there was, I think, uncertainty for everyone about what would happen next. Um, and while we did close our offices for a short period of time, we were able to open them back up uh, pretty quickly. And then we've continued our work in education. Uh, we work in um, agriculture. It's such a huge um, part of life uh, in Afghanistan. And then uh, sometimes emergencies re- response, just depending on what the situation is. Certainly the drought that has happened has been ongoing in Afghanistan for several years now as part of our emergency response um, in the country. 
So Megan, where are your, your offices? We have five offices in Afghanistan, five different provinces, and they are in Harat, Gur, Dakundi, Bamiyan, and Kabul. So if you look in the map, it's kind of like the central part of the country is where okay. we are. Okay. Now, one of the things we've been, we've been hearing, and I saw something in the media probably within the past month or so, that there is a, a real uh, food crisis in Afghanistan? It's incredibly severe. It's really worrisome and it's been worrisome for quite some time and it's gotten significantly worse. I was reading some things before our conversation uh, today and more than half the country is in a dire, like we call it food insecurity situation. So it's more than just like not having uh, enough to eat. And we have been doing some assessments and if you look at the areas where we work, and there's different categories of how severe a hunger, hunger crisis right. can be, that many of the people are in crisis levels. Most of the places where we work, people are in emergency levels. So what does that mean? It means people have to make some really desperate, terrible choices when it comes to how are they going to survive? How are they going to get food for themselves and their families? Um, and this has increased 35% over the last year you know, in the areas where we work. So we're seeing a huge increase. And there's a lot of different reasons for why, you know, that's happening. So, so um, Megan, give our listeners a little sense because I'm, on these things, I usually am like a four-year-old. Um, you know, why mommy, why mommy, why, 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 why? So give our listeners a little bit of a sense of like, you know, you said there are multiple reasons. Give our listeners a little sense of what are some of the reasons for the dramatic increase? Yeah, and it is kind of like, how can this be happening? Why is this happening? And it's a right. really good question, I think, to ask yourself. So one of the reasons is the drought. So it's like the worst drought in memory that has been going on for years now. And so those have like these um, combination effects. So you have a drought one year, you don't get the crops that you need. So now you're low on food and you were depending on those crops for um, your livelihood, for your money to buy food. So that happens one year and you're behind. That happens another year, you're even more behind. And then another year. So that has had um, pretty severe consequences. And that has been going on, as I said, for several uh, years now. It's a very agriculture dependent country. So when those things go wrong, it really has that kind of uh, ripple effect. So you have, uh, when the US troops left in August, the banking system just was not in the usual shape that, that it is before. So people were having trouble getting access to cash. Um, unemployment rates went way up at that time. Um, and so that is another reason why people just don't have um, enough food. And then the other thing that's happening that's not just affecting Afghanistan, it's affecting other countries as well, is we know inflation is everywhere. So prices are really um, going up. So I was- So maybe um, let, let me ask you, yeah. let me ask you a technical, not technical, yeah, sure. but, a, but kind of a logistical question. There are two reasons why there are um, uh, why there are or the two ways there are there are uh, famine food insecurity. One is there's not enough food, or secondly, the food isn't getting to all of the people. So, um, and if you tell me both, then I'm going to ask you to say a little bit bit more. I mean, and the third part of that is, let's say 
pre a year or two ago, was Afghanistan a food, a net food exporter or a food importer? I, I would say they were a food importer. Okay. I mean, a lot of the food that they use is food for themselves and food that they're selling, you know, to right. their local communities. So, right. and you're right about the famine declaration and, and those types of things. And, and conflict is often a reason for that. I don't mm. think at the moment that is one of the reasons that Afghanistan is in the situation that it's in. Um, so there, there is some food, there is food there you, and you can get food into Afghanistan, you know, if you can find it, but, um, you know, I think what happens is that it's much more expensive. Just to give you an example of like one of the things that happened, one of the one of the things people do when um, you know they don't have enough food and they don't have any kind of livelihood, any kind of job, they were depending on their agriculture for their livelihood, and now no rain, they can't. So what they do is one of the things they sell off their livestock. So because they need they need money, they need cash. So that yeah. and we don't want them to do that, and that's because now they can't use that livestock you know, for, to, to get money. And so Megan, say, Megan, just parentheses for our, yeah. for our listeners. Um, again, we're not talking about Afghanistan, but isn't the so much, so at least another part of world tragedy. Um, and I could point out Haiti, where sometimes people even sell off their children for, for that. Uh, yeah. There were, where poor families didn't feel they could care for their children. So they would, sell them to rich families where they thought. So, I mean, I know it's entirely different, uh, but, but uh, what I want our listeners to understand is when people are desperate, they do desperate things and, and it goes even more than animals, but I don't, didn't mean to distract you, but. Um, well, and that's hap- no, and that's happening too. So I'll talk about that um, in a okay. moment. It's the most gut wrenching aspect of situations like this, but just to, to finish with what that one story I was telling was just like, so you sell your sheep or your goat and before you could sell that and you could buy three or four bags of flour with the sales from that. Now you can buy one bag of flour. So okay. just like everything, when you have these high prices, you, your money doesn't go as far. So then, and then you do have to start doing things. So what we're seeing in Afghanistan is a very early arranged marriages and that, yeah. yes, they, they do have, which is in, in a form of, selling your children to which is I, it's hard for me to even say those words because i can't even imagine the pain of these families and what they're doing because that will be part of it but then they also have their young their sons try to find day labor somewhere and sometimes they go to iran to find uh that day labor and so you know of course what happens when there's arranged marriages and you you have your sons try to go off and find work they're not in school right we're seeing that as well about I think it's like half the, the children in Afghanistan of school age are not, are not in school. So what's, I mean, I'm not, so how is, how is CRS's programs addressing the food insecurity that is, that has skyrocketed there? So one of the ways that we're, we're um, working through this or attempting to work through this is we give cash to farmers. So they can buy cash to help them buy seeds to plants, um, but it also is just cash to to buy food for their families. And that is really helpful. One of the reasons we really like to use cash in these situations is one, families can buy what they need. So different families have different needs, so they can buy that, but they're buying locally as well. So this is helping local markets 
um, because they are now able to you know sell there and and then make money that way. So that's one of the reasons, one of the ways that we're helping. And then we also work with farmers as well to try to have some livestock management practices, work with their agriculture, um, teach them new techniques to kind of um, still be able to grow and have a harvest, even though they have this these drought conditions. So part of it too is like water management. There are different things that you can do just to help mitigate um, some of those impacts of a drought. Let's shift to the other area that you mentioned, the area of of education. I know that there was a, a major conversation going around about the fact that um, over the maybe 20 years that that the American military was there, that there was a tremendous increase in the participant rate of girls in education programs. Everybody was kind of speculating that that might be in jeopardy with the withdrawal of, of the American military. Um, so what's going on from your perspective with regard to that? Well, we, the, what we call community-based education, I, I can't explain what that means. So um, we have been able to continue to fully operate the classrooms that we had operating before you know, the US military uh, left. And we've actually have been able to expand some of our education and we're looking to expand on some of our classrooms even more, because one of the things that did happen is that when, when the government transition happened um, last August is that it, you know, it, the conflict ended really. So we were able to go in places that were off limits to us before because they were too insecure. So we are looking to um, expand some of our um, education. So we have about 800 community, a little bit more than 800 um, classrooms and they um, educate boys and girls, and that's close to about 23,000 uh, students. But the educators, there, there is some issues too with education, as I mentioned, if, if families don't have you know, money to buy food that they are looking to, you know, their sons have to go off um, you know, to find work or their, their daughters are married um, young. But what I love about those the classrooms that we have, that community-based education, is that we're in these really rural areas. One of the barriers to education for young girls was that parents were, they didn't have schools and parents were just nervous about sending their daughters too far away. They would have to walk. Um, you know, there were different kinds of dangers in, in walking to those far away schools. And so this way they can be educated in their communities. The parents can be part of that education, part of those classrooms. Um, and um, it's really been one of the bright spots of being able to educate girls and boys, you know, who just didn't have the access to that education um, before. We would certainly love to see that girls can continue their education past the sixth grade. We only go up to the, the sixth grade, but, um, you know, we also, we train teachers. We also just in the classroom, we think now particularly with, with COVID, because it's, it's still a problem in a lot of areas, just offering you know, good hygiene and things like that. So, so people can stay in school. So kids. Can so, so Megan, make me smarter and make our listeners smarter um, to tell me. So are those 800 classrooms, are they, I know they're in the community, but would they be the way that we would all think of a classroom in the sense that, that somebody went to school, you know, like nine o'clock in the morning and they got taught a number of, of things and maybe they ended two or three and they come back the next day and 
Is that, should we think about that? Sure, yes. I mean, I think, you know, is it, you know the classroom, I have not been to Afghanistan, right. but I, you know, I know that I'm familiar with the work of the, the classrooms. And certainly you see children, they're not usually sitting in desks, so they're sitting on the floor, the floor, but there is a teacher at the front of the room. Sometimes it's like a blackboard or right. notes and they have their books and they have homework that they go home and they're writing in their homework. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, it is that kind of traditional classroom. Now, there are some classrooms that have multi-grades. So that would be maybe right. a little bit different than what we have seen here. I mean, it was certainly we back in the day, I guess I can say that you would right. have those uh, multi, multi-grade classrooms. So some of them are multi-grade, but some of them are just, um, you know, the, the regular classroom uh, work that you would see. We do some of those, and they're, they're not just in those community-based, that we do also in some of the, the displacement camps. There's some classrooms there as well, which you know a little I, bit different. So you know what I think, uh, let me provide a little bit of a, of a context or a comparison for our listeners. Educating, as you said, about 23,000 young people I mean, I just, I happened, I was at a meeting yesterday, and so I know the answer to this, that I think somewheres in, let's say, in the in like New York, in the Archdiocese of New York, I think there are like maybe 50, 55,000 kids in the Catholic school system in the Archdiocese, give or take, okay? But 24,000 is just about half. So in, that is a lot of kids that are getting an education because of the work of Catholic Relief Services. I mean, I think that's something that is just, um, you know, just tremendous, you know, work that's going on. Well, I really appreciate you saying that because I, I think the same way. I mean, to me, you know, if you are healthy and you're educated, you know, so many of the other issues and problems can be resolved because you have that. And you think of you know, we are committed to supporting the people of Afghanistan. We have been there for 20 years. When that transition happened and everyone wasn't sure, the one message that our president and CEO, Sean Callahan, said over and over is that we are committed, we are staying here, we're supporting people. So, you know, that I think is the way we can contribute to giving giving girls and boys an education so they can be part of their country's future. Yeah. And um, like, to me, it's, it's, it's just one of the best things that, that you can do. And, and to have the whole community a part of it. We all know, I mean, you think of those Catholic schools and the archdiocese and how much they are a part of that community. And we've seen what happens when those, those schools go away in, in those communities. And so, yeah. you know, I just think of them as these anchors for communities when you have yeah. that school for everyone to be a part of. So I appreciate you saying that because I, I feel the same way that it's just an important yeah. thing. That I, ha- I have to ask another question because this is worldwide, this question. Uh, you know, whether again, it be on the subways of New York City, or whether it be in schools in Texas, uh, walking the streets, everybody is concerned about, or or the U- Ukraine, everybody's concerned about security and safety. Um, how are your workers feeling these days in Afghanistan? You know, I was I was talking to our country representative, our main person um, who is there, and uh, you know, security is is something we obviously take extre- very very seriously, and that we have always been very careful. And you know, as I said, I mean, it, it's 
I mean, they feel okay there now. They they are safe. There are, I mean, we read the news, you can see things that there are bombings and things like that in, in Kabul, but we have been able to maintain um, our work. And, you know, I think there's always a, a, a fear of what might happen, um, but that's that's true of Afghanistan, that's true of many other places, but you just don't know um, those types of things. But um, for right, you know, for right now, we obviously take a lot of security measures and precautions, but they do feel safe being there. And our staff is there. Um, right. Okay. Well, Megan Gilbert, communications officer for Catholic Relief Services. We've just been talking about the ongoing work that uh, Catholic Relief Services, CRS, is doing in Afghanistan. Megan, thank you for taking the time during the summer to kind of share with our listeners the good work that Catholic Relief Services continues to do in a variety of areas, but particularly in the area of food and in the area of education, two very basic human needs. So thank you for being with us. Oh, thanks so much for having me and putting a spotlight on some of these issues that really deserve it. Great. Uh, Tom, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back in a moment. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And if all of us did that, our world would be more just, would be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. 
just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We look at what's going on in the world through the prism of our Catholic social teaching. And we try to figure out how we analyze what's going on in a way that enables us to make a contribution to making our world more just and making it more compassionate. You know, one of the things that is very, very critical to the human race is religion. Now, I know this is the Catholic channel, so there's a little bit of stuff that is maybe, one might say, self-serving, but the religious nature of the human person is pretty widely recognized, and not only Catholic, Christian, but that that deep spiritual sense that it is within us. And it does seem that, you know, there is not a, there is a rise in some of the um, persecution, some of the violence that appears to be religious based, that people are being picked on and people being persecuted, being attacked because they of their religious beliefs. So I am very pleased that our next guest is Nina Shea, who is Senior Fellow and Director of the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute, uh, to speak about some of what is going on in the, um, in the world. Um, it, it is, you know, it is different that religious freedom, different than the freedom of speech. If it were not different, it would be, um, it would not be uh, articulated separately um, as a, as a different right. So I'm delighted that uh, Nina Shea is returning to Just Love as a guest uh, so we can talk to her about um, what she sees from her perspective as the Center for Religious Freedom. Uh, Nina Shea, thank you so much for being with us on Just Love again. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Monsignor. Good. And I hope your summer is going well. It's been very busy so far. I just was at a three-day summit on international religious freedom in Washington that was uh, led by the bipartisan team of Ambassador Sam Brownback and Katrina Lanto-Sweat. So we had a thousand, um, I was a partner in this, uh, the Hudson Institute where I am, uh, where the Center for Religious Freedom is, uh, was a partner. And um, we had hundreds of NGOs and charities and people concerned about religious freedom there from all over the world and a thousand attendants altogether. So it was quite something. Did it have a particular, sometimes these, did it have a particular focus or theme or issues that were raised up? I know, you know, sometimes these conferences have kind of that type of focus. What was it? Well, we we were very concerned about the persecution in Nigeria and um, a Catholic bishop um, from Ando, where the church was blown up on Pentecost Sunday that was in, in some of our newspapers and media, uh, he came and gave a keynote speech. Ah. And uh, he was brought by aid to the church in need. And um, he made a very powerful message that there is uh, not only persecution, but genocide, religious genocide against Christians going on in Nigeria. And that um, th- it's being missed by the West. Can you, Nina, can you share with our listeners a little bit of, of, of how he framed that message and say a little bit more about it? Yeah, it's, um, there have been 
several thousand, 6,000, according to Open Doors, which keeps track of these issues, 6,000 murders of Nigerian Christians, mostly in the northern part, um, over the past year or so, year and a half. Um, These uh, Christians are being attacked in different ways. There have been church burnings like we saw in the Southwest um, on Pentecost, where 40 uh, worshipers, Catholic worshipers, were killed in that attack, um, and many more scores more maimed um, in a 25-minute shooting. And and the problem here in all these attacks, Monsignor, um, is that there it's done with impunity. There's no police re- serious investigation or prosecution of the perpetrator. So it continues. Now, across the north, you have these attacks on entire Christian towns and villages. And um, the and and you have um, a, a bludgeoning murder of a, a young girl, a, Christ, a Catholic girl, Deborah, in May for alleged, um, you know, a mob. It was essentially a mob lynching for blasphemy against Islam um, by her classmates. And then you had, um, uh, you know, many, many Catholic priests being uh, um, kidnapped and and several murders of these kidnapped priests just in the last couple of months. There were two in June in various states in Nigeria. And, you know, just to telescope out a bit, Nigeria has about 216 million people, half of whom are Christian. So they're not a minority, but they are a minority in the north. And the, the those who are attacking them um, are a variety of extremist groups. Um, there's Boko Haram in the northeast and um, Islamic State, um, which is uh, a, a, an affiliate of ISIS. So we all know about ISIS. So these are radical Islamists. uh, terror groups that have been designated as such by the United States government. And then there's other um, radicalized members of the Fulani tribe who are attacking these towns and wiping out entire Christians. Millions have gone, Christians have gone into um, um, displacement or refuge outside the country because of this and and impoverished without hope. They lost their livelihoods. They lost their farms. Um, and uh, and, the, and the kidnapping of the priests and what the Bishop Jude of um, Ondo said to me, and when I spoke to him, I spent some time with him this week, had dinner with him, um, is that there it's becoming it's really ratcheted up in the last year, and it has um, been uh, the priests are being kidnapped right from their rectories or from inside the church, so it's an emboldening and and a clear targeting. Uh, of these villages and of these priests, because as you know, the Catholic Church cannot function without priests. Um, we are led by clergy, and uh, um, you know we're not going to don't please don't do theology, okay? Let's just yeah. <laughs> stick with the other, okay? <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, so we have uh, we're very vulnerable. You know, they, they they can they can be wiped out of this area. Uh, driven out, uh, that is the Catholic Church. And so that's what the, the fear is now. The, the so what do you president- think? I mean, again, so let me ask you, I mean, if I, I mean, 6,000 uh, killings is is horrendous. That is just a, um, you know, just, just absolutely, you know, horrendous uh, number of people who have died. But when the, but if there are like a hundred million Christians, 
that are there. I mean, the end game can't be um, genocide, right? I mean, because you're not going to kill 100 million Christians, right? Well, it's, a, uh, you know, what they're saying is that what the bishops have been saying to me there from there um, is that, and it's not just one, it's, you know, Bishop Kuka and, and, and others, the, the president of the Catholic Bishops Conference there said we are not safe anywhere and anymore right. after the church bombing, but, um, or shooting. Uh, it's the definition, the legal definition of genocide does not require that all, all uh, targeted group be killed. It requires that there be a, 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 in part uh, harmed or killed and that it be done with the intention to eradicate them. And that's what they fear is that they are being eradicated from the north where they are a minority, the northern part of Nigeria. Right. right. OK. Um, and. So is is and is the, the other groups that are either taking credit or perpetrating it? Is it is it? I mean, this is never a simple uh, question or a simple answer. But there is sometimes religious persecution that is really economic persecution or is political power. Um, is there any way to kind of distinguish some of that in what's going on in Nigeria? Well, that's a great question. And you have in other genocidal situations, like in Iraq, where Christians, where the United States government pronounced Christians and Yazidis as victims of ISIS genocide. Yeah. Uh, and this is very similar in, in, in some respects. Uh, you have general mayhem, too, and conflict in the country right. so that Muslims are attacked, too, and ordinary people, you know, other people are attacked, too, um, randomly. There's a war going on. But there is a seems to be a particular intent. And there has been statements to that effect by some of these perpetrators in Nigeria. The, For example, the uh, and, and then that's why the, you know, Bishop uh, Jude of, of Ando has called it a genocide. Uh, soon, uh, also in the last couple of weeks, the Methodist prelate there um, has was um, uh, his eminence Kano was um, abducted and um, along with a bishop, a Methodist bishop and held uh, for ransom. Um, he was released after paying, you know, like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars, U.S. dollars equivalent to that. And um, he was told by the men who took him, who were identified as Fulani uh, extremists, um, as, as saying, um, you know, we want to eliminate you. We want to, uh, we're going to go after you. And, and there have been that, those kind of threats on social media as well from um, religious heads. And not all of them. I mean, there, there was Muslim, I was also this week at the summit with the uh, Sultan of Sokoto. And, um, you know, he's a Muslim leader in the, the same area with Bishop Kuka in Sokoto State in the north. And he defended the, the Catholic girl who was murdered for alleged blasphemy. And he was threatened um, with death. And um, so it's it's um, not just Christians, but it's Muslims who are not perceived as Muslim enough or going with the program. So there are elements of politics in this. Um, there's uh, it's certainly not what the, the West claims that this is this is all climate change. These are communal clashes over climate change. The bishops have rejected that out of hand. 
um, that I've spoken to. And uh, they say that's far-fetched, that that's um, a deflection from what's really going on. And, you know, when you think about it, climate change affects everybody. It, it doesn't affect everybody like this um, in this form. And there's almost no solution. There's almost no hope if, if, the, 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 if, you at, if the analysis is that this, this is climate change-driven communal clashes. And, by the way, the Christians are disproportionately being targeted in this by far. So, Nina, I think you've made a very, very kind of compelling case for what's going on in, in Nigeria. And I, I personally share your perspective that these things are underreported in the, in the media, or at least in the United States. And I, I thank you for raising them up. Are there, since your center is for religious freedom, are there other parts of the world in which other groups are currently the victims, other than Christians, which are in other places, the victims of persecution and where that's growing or it is very is significant? Yeah, the 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 um, summit and my own view and work has been focused uh, heavily on China, where there is. The U.S. has pronounced a genocide against the Uyghur Muslim community right. um, by the uh, the government there, and that has taken the form of, um, as everyone I think knows now, um, massive um, detention camps where people are uh, tortured and disappeared and um, sterilized, and the women, you know, forced abortions as a way of population right. suppression. So that is a big concern. And so is, um, Monsignor, forced organ harvesting against both the Uyghur Muslims and uh, Falun Gong, which is a spiritual meditation group that is Chinese. And that is chilling because um, what they're doing is taking detainees, that is the government. um, First of all, they're putting them in detention without any due process. Then they're blood typing them, tissue matching them. And then uh, a patient for a heart transplant comes into a transplantation center and gets an appointment within a day or two. And one of those detainees that is sought is taken and then killed for their organs. Uh-huh. And um, the, the problematic, uh, you know, which is so problematic about this is that there's close partnership between U.S. transplant hospitals here and medical schools and theirs in China. And this is very widespread. It's estimated it's a scale of, you know, tens of thousands a year by scholars um, who have who have long studied this for two decades. It's been going on for two decades. And and this kind of rapid. Um, so, Nina, let me let me just I want to make sure. So so American hospitals are buying. Organ parts from people who are being killed in China. No, it's not oh, that simple. Oh, oh, it's, and I it's, misunderstood. It's, the, yeah, it's American um, hospitals and medical schools that uh, specialize in transplant, organ transplants, are training their transplant surgeons. There have been, it's been documented, documentation um, of doctors against forced organ harvesting. Uh, 340 plus surgeons in, in China have been trained there are by by Americans wow. there's right. the there's fellowships yeah. there's education there's research right. joint research projects on transplantation techniques yeah. and so forth so Nina I want to thank you for raising up these these issues they some of them are absolutely outrageous they are they're just 
uh, cry out. And we just need to keep raising them up because the media doesn't do, the American media does not do, uh, in my judgment, a fair amount of doing it. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, Nina Shea, Senior Fellow and Director of the Center for Religious Freedom at the Huston Institute. Thank you so much for being with us on Just Love. Thank you, Monsignor. Tom, I think we'll take a break and we'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. And Tom, as we kind of continue our summer, um, you have an assignment for the upcoming week. Okay. You have to try... One new flavor ice cream <laughs> and okay, give us a report okay. on what do you think? Now, not one of those weirdo ones. Oh, good. Okay. okay. Thank no, you. For no, that. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to, okay. But, but, but try one of the good ones. Okay. And, and, you know, expand your 
you know, your ice cream um, horizon, <laughs> ice cream horizon. Um, now, and and see what you know, see what comes out out of it. I mean, I think you have good choices. I mean, you have Christmas, you have pistachio, mm-hmm. and you have black cherry. You know, you kind of put them together. You could oh. get, you could get Christmas colors out of you, you know, certainly could. That. Yeah, that's yeah, a mean, good idea. Actually, I think you know we'll give you benefit of the doubt. I think strawberry and pistachio probably make it a little bit better, mm. but, um, but you know, not bad, not bad. And yeah, you know, no, that, yeah, that's a Christmas. That's a, that's a Christmas montage once here. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, it is. So I, again, to all listeners, if you got a problem this summer, ice cream, if you're lactose intolerant, soy ice cream, somehow you can get, get the benefit of ice cream and the entire world is always much better with ice cream. And why are you buying ice cream? Remember, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And if you do love those three, God, self, other, then our world's going to be more compassionate and it's going to be more just. Hey, thanks for being with us on Just Love. I appreciate your listening. Join us again next week when we come back on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM. 129. You're listening to the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.